Hello, this is Archbishop William Laurie of Baltimore, and you are listening to Catholic Baltimore on Q1370 WQLL. Catholic Baltimore is a weekly radio program hosted by the Archdiocese of Baltimore, airing each Sunday following the broadcast of the Radio Mass of Baltimore. We are grateful to our Catholic radio partners for sharing with us some of the contents in this program and for the opportunity to bring quality Catholic programming to the Archdiocese of Baltimore every Sunday. This is Chris Gunty of the Catholic Review. Today on Catholic Baltimore, our guest is George Feigl, author of Lessons in Hope, a new memoir recounting the author's unexpected life and connections with St. John Paul II. George Weigel is a distinguished senior fellow of the Ethics and Public Policy Center. He's a Catholic theologian and one of America's leading public intellectuals. He holds EPPC's William E. Simon Chair in Catholic Studies. From 1989 through June 1996, George was president of the Ethics and Public Policy Center, where he led a wide-ranging ecumenical and interreligious program of research and publication on foreign and domestic issues, policy issues. In June 1996, he began working on a major study of the life, thought, and action of Pope John Paul II, which resulted in Witness to Hope, the biography of Pope John Paul II, published in the fall of 1999. That book has since been translated into 12 languages, and a Chinese edition is currently in progress. Mr. Weigel is the author or editor of some 20 other books, including The End and the Beginning, Pope John Paul II, The Victory of Freedom, the Last Years, The Legacy. His essays, op-eds, columns, and reviews appear regularly in major opinion journals and newspapers across the United States. He's a frequent guest on television and radio, as he is today, and he is also a senior Vatican analyst for NBC News. George grew up in Baltimore, received a Bachelor of Arts from St. Mary's Seminary and University in Baltimore, and a Master's Degree from the University of St. Michael's College in Toronto, Canada. Lessons in Hope, My Unexpected Life with St. John Paul II, will be released in September. Welcome to the show, George. Thanks, Chris. Good to be with you. So Lessons in Hope is essentially the third book in your trilogy of Pope John Paul II. What prompted you to write this one? It was actually the reaction to the second book, okay. uh, the end and the beginning. When I was going around the country and indeed around the world uh, promoting that book, I discovered that what people really wanted was not more analysis, uh, not more history. They wanted stories. Mm -hmm. uh, this was five years after the Pope had died, and anything I could do to make him come alive again in a, in a real way uh, for them, uh, they were eager to get. So at that point, the idea of doing a memoir about this uh, rather striking and unexpected journey uh, came into my mind. And I have to say, it was great uh, fun to write this. This is very mm -hmm. different from the other two panels of the triptych. Uh, there, there isn't a single end note in the thing. Uh, it's all storytelling, and I hope people find it both enjoyable and inspiring, as I found him enjoyable and inspiring. Yeah, but the book takes us all over the place. I mean, right. you, you go from, from your early days in Baltimore to, to that. Uh, tell our listeners the story of how... Uh, the Pope asked you to write the first biography. I think that's fascinating. Well, this is this is a point I hope we finally get cleared up, which is that he did not ask me to write okay. the biography. Okay. I had the idea of doing this, and he agreed that he would cooperate. Okay. And that was my proposal in mid-1995, uh, and over a dinner, which begins the book, uh, mm -hmm. which begins Lessons in Hope, 
in December 95, he made it kind of abundantly clear that he thought it would be a good idea if I did this. Mm -hmm. But the project was my idea uh, from the beginning. The Pope was not going around hunting for a biographer. Um, and I think the most, perhaps the most interesting thing about that early phase is that when I said to him in March 1996, uh, you can't see a word of this until I hand you the finished product three years from now, he simply said, of course. That's obvious. So um, he was immensely cooperative. He pushed me into areas of his life and his experience that I would not necessarily have gone into myself, uh, specifically his work as a university chaplain, which I came to understand was absolutely crucial for understanding his priestly character and his concept mm -hmm. of the priesthood. Uh, so it was a good collaboration, but you know, this was my responsibility, and he understood that. And I assume that he also then gave you kind of a letter that said, this is okay to talk to George about these things. He, he wrote me a letter after I had written him in uh -huh. December 95 saying, thanks for dinner, interesting conversation, could I have a written indication of your disposition in this mm -hmm. matter. And about three weeks later, I got a personal letter from him saying he was very grateful for this offer of mine to do this and that he would be as cooperative as time uh, and circumstances permitted. Right. So you talk about the fact that this is the telling the stories, the stories people want to hear. Do you have a favorite story or two about the man who became the saint? We're, we're sitting here having this conversation in my house. Uh -huh. I suppose uh, one of the favorites uh, involves this house. I, I have run a summer seminar in Krakow, his city, for over a quarter century now. And, uh, and every year from 1999 on, I would write him a letter telling him about the seminar, the mm -hmm. students, what the topics were, uh, how things seemed in Poland, etc., etc. And about two weeks after I had done that, in must have been 2000 or 2001, uh, I was working here at home and I was really tired, and I said to my wife after lunch, I'm going to go up and take a nap, and I don't want to wake up unless the house is burning down or the Pope is calling. <laughs> well, 15 minutes later, uh, I hear her footsteps coming up the stairs, and she opens the door to our bedroom and says, I know what you just said, but he's on the phone. <laughs> because he had gotten the letter at the chest of Adolfo. Of course, it was 8 o'clock at night there. Yeah. And he just wanted to talk about it. So we talked about it. That's awesome. That's it's awesome. the way it was uh, with him. He, until the very end, ran an extraordinarily open papacy. Uh, he understood that popes simply can't count on the normal channels of communication mm -hmm. within the church to know what's going on. He's got to cast the net more widely than that. Uh, and he did that right up until the end. Mm-hmm. I remember traveling in 1984 with Cardinal Joseph Bernardine of Chicago to Poland for 10 days with uh, the Cardinal and 23 uh, Polish priests from Chicago. And then after that, we went for four days in Rome. And I said to the Cardinal, I said, so are you going to give him an update on the situation in Poland? And he says, he has other people in Poland who can who can do that very well for him. He doesn't need an American cardinal to, to tell him that. But I think it, it seems like the kind of thing where 
those back channel uh, that back channel information can be much more useful than what's coming out in, in the public channels. Well, I discussed that at some length in a in a one of the less happy uh, chapters in the book about the abuse crisis of two thousand two, mm -hmm. uh, and described how I went over there in April of that year, right after Easter. Uh, to tell him things I had become convinced he simply was not getting mm -hmm. out of the normal channels of communication. And uh, I hope that was helpful, um, but I wouldn't have had the inclination to do that unless I had known for the previous 15 years that mm -hmm. that's the way things that was worked with him, and, mm -hmm. and that was a good thing. Yeah. Uh, in the memoir, you talk about your upbringing in Baltimore. Uh, how did the church in Baltimore affect your early years? Well, for <laughs> for 15 years, I tried to explain to John Paul II that Baltimore was the Gniezno of America. Okay. Polish church begins in Gniezno, uh, and the Catholic church in the old colonial America begins in Baltimore. Well... You know, Gniezno had been an archdiocese for 700 years when the Archdiocese of Baltimore was created. So I don't think it's made a great impression yeah. on him. Not a perfect analogy. It's not a perfect analogy. But um, I think that sense of history, uh, of history involving real people. Uh, I went to the old cathedral school right across the street from the basilica. Uh, this is the most um, historic site in the history of the church. In the United States, I mean, more stuff happened there right. than, than any place else. The Baltimore plenary the, councils, sure. all of those things. Sure, uh, and that that clearly had some sort of an impression on made some sort of an impression on me. Uh, the first part of the book is uh, explains how things in my life that seemed utterly random at the time they happened, viewed through the prism of this fifteen year experience with John Paul II came to seem utterly providential in terms of preparation for a task I never imagined uh, I would take on when, when these things were happening. So, you know, I talk about Baltimore in that context as well as other circumstances uh, in my life. And um, Bishop Bob Barron was kind enough to say in the blurb he wrote for the cover of the book that this is really a story about divine providence weaving two lives together in ways that neither one of them, neither one of the protagonists could have expected, but it seemed to work out okay. Yeah, sure did. Sure did. Well, after the break, we're going to talk some more with George Weigel about St. John Paul II. This is Chris Gunty, and you're listening to Catholic Baltimore. Catholic News from the Archdiocese of Baltimore and around the world with the Catholic Review. One hundred years ago, the Blessed Virgin Mary appeared to three shepherd children in central Portugal and offered an extraordinary proposition. If the world would repent, follow Christ, and pray the rosary daily, peace would follow. The children promised to do as Our Lady of Fatima requested. 
Many believe that World War I came to an end as a result of their prayers and the prayers of others who heeded Mary's call. Today, people throughout the Archdiocese of Baltimore will renew their commitment to prayer and the message of Fatima during the Archdiocese's first ever Our Lady of Fatima Rosary Congress. To be held October 7th through October 13th, the Congress will feature perpetual adoration of the Blessed Sacrament at six sites throughout the Archdiocese. The Rosary will be prayed on the hour every hour. Special Masses, spiritual talks, opportunities for confession, processions, and other events will also be offered. My whole goal with the Rosary Congress is to take the Blessed Mother seriously, said Father James Borick, rector of the Basilica of the National Shrine of the Assumption of the Blessed Virgin Mary in Baltimore. The Basilica is one of the host sites. She's not going to lead us astray, Father Borick said. Archbishop William E. Lorry noted that the concept of a Rosary Congress originated in Poland in 1978. I pray that through the Rosary Congress in October, we will deepen our devotion to Mary and receive her intercession on behalf of our people, the Archbishop said. St. John in Westminster, St. Mary in Annapolis, St. Mary in Hagerstown, St. Mark in Falston, and St. Peter the Apostle in Liberty Town are the other host sites for the Congress. For more information about the Rosary Congress, visit the Archdiocese of Baltimore's website at archbalt.org. Again, that website is archbalt.org. From the Newsroom of the Catholic Review, this is George Matasek. Do you want to know more about what's going on in the church and the world than you can get from your daily newspaper or local TV? Read the only publication in the Archdiocese of Baltimore that covers the church full-time, The Catholic Review. Pick up the print magazine monthly at your parish or have The Catholic Review delivered to your home every month. You can get fresh news every day online at catholicreview.org. Subscribe to the Catholic Review e-newsletter for twice-a-week updates. Just text CR Media to 84576. Find our app on Apple and Android. And follow the Catholic Review on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Pinterest. Wherever your faith takes you, Catholic Review Media is ready to inspire, teach, inform, and engage. Read it today in print and online at catholicreview.org. That's catholicreview.org. For 143 years, New Cathedral Cemetery has served the needs of the Catholic community of Baltimore and Central Maryland. New Cathedral is the only cemetery owned by the Archdiocese of Baltimore and is the final resting place for many religious orders and famous citizens. 125 acres of rolling hills, trees, and beautiful monuments, the cemetery is an oasis of peace and tranquility and is located off Edmondson Avenue just outside of Catonsville. New Cathedral is dedicated to the task of tending to the mortal remains of our dearly departed and has many more years of available space. If you are in need of a burial site, vault, monument, or marker, or just a respectful location to place your cremated loved ones, our counselors will help you through this process and make sure the wishes of you and your loved ones are honored. Visit us online at newcathedralcemetery.org, like us on Facebook at New Cathedral Cemetery Bonnie Bray, or call 410-566-7770. You are listening to Catholic Baltimore on Q1370 WQLL. We're back and we're talking with George Weigel, Distinguished Senior Fellow of the Ethics and Public Policy Center and author of more than 20 books on theology, the Catholic Church, and of course, St. John Paul II. 
You mentioned in your new book, Lessons of, in Hope, that when Pope John Paul was Cardinal Karl Wojtyla in Krakow, he would spend two hours each day writing in a chapel before the Blessed Sacrament, just a few feet from where he was ordained as a priest. I don't think you have a chapel here in your home, but how do you find the time and to do all the writing, much less the research for columns and essays and books? And, and what's your discipline on that? How do you do that and do you combine that with prayer? I'm, I'm not an agonistic writer. Uh, in 40-some years of doing this, I don't remember ever having a block. Well, uh, I'm jealous. But, um, I, you know, there, there's a certain discipline to it. Uh, I do most of my serious writing here at home mm-hmm. in the mornings, and then I go down to the Essex and Public Policy Center office in the afternoon. So I beat the Beltway traffic both ways. Mm-hmm. I can get sort of a day and a half into each day. Uh, different projects call for different writing styles. I can write a column anywhere. I can write a column at an airport if, mm-hmm. I, if I have to. Sure. Uh, the, the more disciplined, uh, annotated stuff I do uh, here at home because I've got all my materials here. Right. I've got my library. I've got my, a lot of my files and so forth. Um, I should mention, it might be of interest, that all of my... John Paul II stuff, as well as literally all of my records, are going to go to the Library of Congress on my uh, uh, demise. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think this will be of some interest to people because Mm -hmm. I've had the the, uh, good fortune uh, to be in touch with many, many major figures in the Catholic world for, Mm -hmm. for many decades. And that will include the audio tapes of my interviews for Witness to Hope. Uh, which will be digitalized and available uh, mm-hmm. to people. Uh, so scholars a, can research and, and that and, that includes twelve hours of conversation with Cardinal Ratzinger, as he as mm-hmm. he then was. I have no audio tapes of John Paul II. It seemed to me a bit vulgar to slide a tape recorder <laughs> across the Pope's dinner table, but I have a lot of handwritten notes from that and mm-hmm. uh, and transcribed uh, conversation notes, which I was able to draw on for this book. Mm-hmm. My mother never threw anything away, and that that gene passed down the line and uh, was very helpful in doing this book. Sure. Yeah, because you go back and there are stories, and I'm thinking, as I'm reading through it, I said, how did he remember this? I mean, just, you know, it, it happened so long ago, but, but it's really, it's great to have that detail. Everything in Lessons in Hope, I can corroborate with simultaneous notes at the time, or I called up people who I thought were there at the mm-hmm. time and, and checked out the memory. Um, it's, it's the stories you tell stories about mm-hmm. uh, for many years that tend to get a bit elaborated yes. over time. Yes. Uh, but everything that's in here happened the way it happened. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So Lessons in Hope really takes us all around the world. Yeah. Um, especially to places where things were difficult. You, you mentioned being... Uh, in um, in Haiti when the Pope was there, or I'm sorry, in Cuba when the Pope right. was there. Um, where was the church most threatened that you saw it? And, and how did St. John Paul have an impact on that? Well, I was not with him, of course, during the great 1980s pilgrimages to Poland, but mm-hmm. that was certainly the high drama sure. in, in public terms of the pontificate. Uh, Cuba was heartbreaking. I have Cuban-American cousins in Baltimore. 
uh, I've known the story of Cuba since I was eight years old. Mm -hmm. uh, but to see the wreckage that has been caused in Havana, for example, which ought to be one of the most beautiful cities in the world, by uh, this mindlessness and viciousness, uh, and to see how the Pope could give hope to people who had been uh, terribly pressured for years was really something I, I think it I think I know it's in this book uh, the first day of the Cuba trip while well, the Pope was in uh, where was he I can't recall anyway I was not on the out of Havana trip that day uh, and some friends of mine and I went to have lunch in the cove where Hemingway's old man set off for the sea mm -hmm. And uh, the owner hears us talking in English. And he comes over and in his own broken English asks if we were here for the Pope. And we said we were. And he started crying. Uh, the Mass that day had been a Mass for families. Mm -hmm. And he had heard the Pope's homily. And he sa simply said, I've been trying to hold my family together for 40 years. Uh, under this awful regime, and to hear the Pope praise us for doing that. Uh, and then he just couldn't say anymore because mm. he, the, the waterworks were on. So that, that, was, uh, that was really quite um, uh, something. I, I will say, Chris, I think uh, while the threats are different, John Paul II had an acute sense of the danger, not so much for the church as an institution, although that was surely uh, true, but for the souls of people mm -hmm. of the kind of uh, utilitarian view of the human condition. Mm -hmm. We measure people by their utility that he saw developing in the Western uh, world. Did it seem to make an impact that when uh, he was one of the most traveling popes ever, did it seem to have an impact that he visited all of these other places um, or, or was just people seeing him on TV, hearing his message, was that enough? I think the personal presence made a great uh, difference. He took very seriously uh, the Lord's injunction to Peter in, in Luke twenty-two thirty-two, 32, when uh, the Lord says, New Peter must go and strengthen your brethren. He understood that modern t transportation and communications technology made that possible in a literal way and necessary and uh it and it made it made a serious difference i mean uh, historically uh, he made an enormous difference in the philippines in chile in argentina in paraguay uh, as well as in poland uh, i think his presence here in the united states on uh, half a dozen occasions mm -hmm. Uh, was one factor in keeping the pro-life movement going at a, mm -hmm. at a time when that was not uh, easy or simple. So, I, yeah, yeah, there's measurable uh, impact uh, here. Uh, and I think he created the papacy of, of the third millennium mm -hmm. uh, by, by doing this. There's, there's really nothing in the present pontificate that was not previewed in the pontificate of John Paul II, including the theme of divine mercy. Right. It's all there. It's all, it's all there. there. Well, I know you're, you're going to be uh, talking about the book and talking about your life and your connections with, with John Paul. 
in uh, in September, right after the book comes out, and you'll be doing a book signing at the Baltimore Basilica. Can you give us some details on that? It's September 21st. I think it begins at 7 o'clock at night. Mm -hmm. Let's hope the O's are still in the hunt at that That'd point. Be... Uh, that would be uh, that would be nice. Um, no, I'll talk for a half an hour or so about the genesis of the book, the Baltimore connections, what they meant mm -hmm. to all of this. And we'll have time for some conversation, and then there'll be, uh, I think, a bit of refreshment and the opportunity for people to get books and have them signed. That'd be great. And that'll help out the Baltimore Basilica, too, I'm sure, because they'll, they'll make some money off of the, the book sales, we hope. I hope so. We hope. If people can't get, it, get to the talk at the Basilica... Where are they going to be able to find this book? Uh, the, the easiest way is on any of the online book services, Amazon.com, okay. BarnesandNoble.com, but any any bookstore will have the book as of September 19th. Mm -hmm. And that's Lessons in Hope coming out from Basic Books in uh, mid-September, September, September 19th. September 19th. Okay. And uh, so we've been talking today with George Weigel, author of Lessons in Hope, My Unexpected Life with St. John Paul II which will be released uh, coming up in September. Thanks so much, George, for being with us today. Thank you, Chris. Child abuse is not only a crime, it's also a sin. The Archdiocese of Baltimore has long made the protection of children a leading priority in its parishes, schools, and other ministries. The Archdiocese seeks to keep kids safe through rigorous training and background checks and by implementing a zero-tolerance policy for anyone credibly accused of abusing a child. For more information about the Archdiocese's efforts to keep our children safe, please visit www.archbalt.org. Life can be hard, and at times we feel overwhelmed and alone. When faced with problems, know that there is a group of Catholics who are part of the prayer ministry of the Archdiocese of Baltimore, waiting to lift you and your needs to God in prayer. This ministry is comprised of men and women, young and old, religious and lay, from every ethnic and cultural background. They pray as individuals and in groups, in homes and meeting spaces throughout Baltimore. Like you, they are people who have suffered the same hurts, fears, pains, sickness, loss, and everyday burdens. Learn more about this ministry by visiting our website at www.archbalt.org. If you are in need of prayer, send your prayer request to prayers at archbalt.org or by phone to 410-547-5517. Would you like to volunteer to be a part of the ministry? Prayer ministers are always needed. Please call or email our coordinator, who would be happy to speak with you. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Catholic Baltimore. As we prepare for the week ahead, let us do so in prayer together as one community of faith. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let us also ask the blessing and intercession of our Blessed Mother as we pray. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. May God bless us and keep us always in his love.